God, thank you that you are sovereign over us, that there is nothing out of your control in our lives. I pray that we would find peace in that, that we would find rest in that. I pray that you would uh, speak through Michael, you'd speak through your word, you'd open our hearts uh, just to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. It seems that uh, you're singing a little better this morning than normal, I don't know. It sounded good from right there. So thank you for those of you that were belting it out. I appreciate that. It, uh, it's good when I can't hear myself sing. So the louder y'all are, the better, the better off I am. And, and probably better off that my wife and family are if they can't hear me sing as well. So a uh, couple of things different this morning. Um, number one, uh, how many preschool kids... Are there? Raise your hand. Preschool kids. Scott, you're not a preschool kid. Okay. Normally, y'all go in that room right across the hall, but this morning, the preschool kids and the elementary kids are going to start out together in the back room. Okay? And then after a few minutes, they'll split up after that. And then parents of preschool kids. Let me see you. Parents of preschool kids. Raise your hand. There's one. There's a couple more that are out in the hall. Pick your child up at 12 o'clock. Make sure you go grab them so that they don't just let them loose. Uh, and then this morning, we're going to spend time at the table together. Uh, parents, we trust that you know your children and their uh, spiritual state. So uh, just monitor them as we distribute the fruit of the vine and the bread in a little while. We are in the middle of a series in the book of Colossians called Don't Think Outside the Box. And so if you want to turn to Colossians chapter 2, we will be there shortly. There was something else I was supposed to announce. Congratulations. But whether she graduated or not, she's through and she's back with us. And that's a good thing. So Colossians chapter 2 is where we will be this morning. Oh, I know what it was. Yes. Um, yesterday we had uh, a fun day. We went to Atlanta to the Passages exhibit. If you have not seen that, it would be well worth uh, your time and effort. Uh, it's, you can go online. I think it's passages.org. I don't know. You could probably search for it. Passages exhibit in Atlanta. Um, they have done a, a marvelous job of collecting uh, from first century and even prior to first century biblical documents. There's a, a Dead Sea Scroll fragment. There's the second earliest fragment from the Gospel of John. Uh, numerous old manuscripts, and they kind of tell the story of from the beginning to kind of how we got what we've got today. Uh, very well done. Lots of interesting old stuff that that these famous people wrote. Some stuff that Martin Luther did. Uh, Erasmus is one of his first critical edition of the New Testament. You may not care about any of that stuff. I, it thrilled me to death to see some of those things. Uh, some of Wycliffe's uh, stuff, copy of his stuff. Uh, Tyndale. Some of those guys that were killed for their faith killed for the fact that they really wanted this in the hands of the common people. Um, and it's just humbling. 
that uh, those guys are willing to spend their life uh, translating the Bible into languages people could read and then give their life because some people said, no, you really shouldn't do that. And uh, so it was, it was humbling, it was challenging uh, for me to take this uh, book more seriously as, as we spend time in it. So I would encourage you, I think it's, uh, it's 40 bucks for a family, about 10 or so bucks per person if you don't have a family of four. And you can spend three bucks and buy one of those little headsets and they'll talk to you as you walk around. Uh, it's long, probably we spent five hours, maybe. And we didn't listen to all the little numbers you could punch in. But you could also just walk and read. There's plenty of stuff to do. It's, but I would encourage you to do that. As, uh, as, people, we, as people who value this book, it would be an encouragement to you. So go and, and look that up. So Colossians chapter 2 is where we are. And we will begin in verse 1 in just a moment. Um, every year in Texas, in August, in the 100 degree heat, thousands and thousands and thousands of teenage boys show up on practice fields across the state and uh, endure torture. Um, the first few days, they just run. They run up and down, and they run back and forth, and they run around stuff and through stuff and over stuff, and they just run. And then slowly over time, they, they begin to, to, to work on a few skills, and, but for two or three weeks, Nobody ever talks about opponents. They just run. They just run. And, and you may wonder, well, why do we do all this when the goal is to, to beat that opponent on that first Friday night? Or that's the goal, isn't it? And then the next one and the next one. Well, but see, the coaches know something about what goes on in Texas because that first Friday night in September, it's still probably going to be about 90 degrees when they kick off. And see, the coaches are nice. They don't want you throwing up in front of your parents in the stands. And they don't want the band, you know, walking in that at halftime. So they'd rather you do that in August. And they get you in shape. They prepare you for what they know is coming by first giving you the basics. You've got to be in shape. You've got to know your position. You've got to know what your responsibility is. And Paul's been doing that in chapter 1 of Colossians. He's been laying out the basics for us. He's been getting us in shape. Do you know the grace of God in truth? Do you understand the gospel? Do you know the hope that is set before us? Over and over again, he uses those words and phrases to remind us that we have a purpose. That we need to keep those things in our mind that's critical. We need to understand who Christ is. Creator of all, yet intimately involved and connected to His church and the one who went before us, the one who was raised from the dead, the firstborn of all creation, Paul writes. A reminder and an encouragement to us that we too will be raised from the dead. So we come to chapter 2 and it's still like two-a-days. It's still, we don't know who the opponent is, but we get a glimpse. We start to get a, a glimmer of what we're facing. He's still giving us truth. He's still trying to make sure we're in shape, but we, we finally get a glimmer of what's going on, of what we're going to be facing. There is going to be a defense lined up across from you. You are going to have to make contact with somebody. And so follow along as I read, beginning in chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through verse 7. 
And I want you to look for a couple of things as, as I read. Number one, um, there is danger and deception. And number two, we need to protect ourselves from that danger. Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us through your spirit, that you would speak to our our minds, our hearts, that you'd open our ears to hear well, that you'd keep us from distraction, and ultimately, God, speak to our wills that we would be changed, and that you could use us for your glory in the world this week. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul's struggling, he says in verse 1. He doesn't really say why, but he, he struggles for the Colossians. He struggles for the Laodiceans. He struggles, he says, for all those who've not seen his face. So what kind of struggle is that if it's this wide shotgun approach to, to life? What kind of struggle is that? Well, it's probably a general struggle. And that's why this text is important to us because the things that Paul is talking about are things that apply to us. It's not just to that particular church 2,000 years ago across the Atlantic. The things that he's talking about here are specific to us because they're specific to humanity. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And the struggle that Paul has for the Colossians, for the Laodiceans, for all those people is the same struggle he'd have for you and I today. Same struggle that that we all are dealing with, and he he gives us some thing. Talks about hearts being encouraged and knit together, but we don't learn what that struggle is really until verse four. So drop down there for a second. We'll come back and look at verse two and three in just a moment. He says, "I say this, these things in verse two and three that we're going to talk about. I say this so you'll not be." Deluded with persuasive argument. You see, you and I, every day, are presented with arguments of why we need to take our eyes off of Christ. Every day, someone or something feeds us a line and says, Hey, this is better than what you've got. This is better than the gospel. Look over here. It could be temptation to sin. It could be just another way of doing life that seems to work for you. Well, that looks good. This discipleship business, I don't really like that. Boy, that looks good over there. And we're, and the problem is it sounds good. People can be very persuasive. People can be good at presentation and make things sound good. And the whole time they're redefining 
what it means to be a Christian for us. And one day we wake up and we realize, I'm not walking with God anymore. Or they put up in front of us this, this temptation for sin, whatever that looks like, whatever that is for your life. And we wake up one day and we're so deeply mired and so addicted to whatever it is that we're caught up in. We go, where's my relationship with God? What does that look like? And so Paul's struggle is there's danger out there and it's deception. It happens every day to every one of us in numerous ways. Things that we read, things that we see, our own flesh that fights against the Spirit in our lives. And so what Paul does in the beginning of chapter 2 is he encourages us to protect ourselves. To protect ourselves. So look at verse 2 with me. I have this struggle, he says, that their hearts, you could replace that there with my if you want to, that my heart might be encouraged. Well, Paul, wouldn't it be helpful for you to give us something concrete, something specific to say an encouraged heart? Is that really all you've got for me at this point in time? Well, I don't think that's a bad thing. When your heart is encouraged, are you more likely or less likely to look around for something else to meet your needs? You're less likely. Parents, when your kids are all getting along and that's, you know, you're encouraged, are you, do you enjoy loving them and pouring into them? Yeah, you do. When your brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside you and put their arm around you and, and, and offer words of hope and, and comfort and strength to you, are you less likely to look somewhere else for that hope and comfort and strength? Yeah, you are. Paul knows that we're tempted to be deceived, and so therefore the remedy, the first thing that we do to protect ourselves is to have an encouraged heart. Do you have an encouraged heart? And then he tells us how we get that. He says, having been knit together in love, you and I are encouraged most of all through unity in the body. As we come alongside each other and love one another, our hearts are lifted up, our hearts are encouraged. We're able to take on the world in one sense. We're less afraid. We're less tempted. When I played football, I had a coach named Coach Coulter. One of the nicest guys in the world, but everybody was deathly afraid of him. One of those guys, you know, about this tall and his arms were about this big around. But I think his number one goal for us was to make sure that I knew that everybody else on that team had my back. Because it was constant. Michael... You need to concentrate on your job because you know what? Harold and Stacy and Glenn, they've got your back. Those guys playing next to you, they're going to do their job and they're going to make sure that you don't have any surprises. Over and over again, he poured into all of us that everybody else was doing their job so that I could do my job well. Over and over again, he poured into us that we had the potential 
of working together to be really good. And we sort of believed him. <laughs> Amazing how that worked. And when we would show up on Friday nights, most of the time that particular year, you know, we did fairly well because we trusted him. And he poured into us and he talked about teamwork and unity and love and he made sure that there was no bickering and arguing among us. He, he taught us how to love one another well as much as a bunch of teenage guys can do that. And the church really shouldn't be any different. The way that we are encouraged is by coming alongside each other and making sure that everybody in here knows that we all have each other's back, that we all love each other. And then Paul gives us two results of that, the middle of, of verse 2, and it, it really is a result. Um, it's hard to get it into English. The New American Standard says, Attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding and resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. Both of those are really results of what happens when we are encouraged because of unity. We get the wealth of assurance. You like to be assured of things? I do. And Paul says it's, it's wealth, it's riches, Right? If I'm a millionaire, am I looking around for the next get-rich-quick scheme? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm content. I'm satisfied. And Paul says, when we love each other well, and that encourages our hearts, it brings us assurance. Something we can bank on, we can count on. We're less likely to be deceived because we're content. We're sure of where we are and what we're doing and what our purpose is. And he also says it results in a true knowledge of God's mystery. Well, what is that? We've already talked about that. And he says it again. It's Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When my heart is encouraged through unity, I begin to understand that all that I need is in Christ. That becomes more real to me. All that I need is in Christ. I'm less tempted to look around and be deceived by something else that says, hey, this is better. All I need, it's in Christ. So we protect ourselves, number one, by having an encouraged heart through the unity of the body. Second thing we do to protect ourselves Look at verse 5. Paul says, Even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit. And he says, I'm rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. See, even though Paul's struggling, he's worried, there's deception out there, he hears from Epaphras what they're like and he says, I'm rejoicing because you have order and stability. You have firmness and completeness. That word, good discipline, it's, it's, it's order. It's having your priorities straight. And that's one way you can protect yourself by what, what are the things that I'm supposed to be doing? Am I encouraging one another? Am I spending time getting to know other people in the body? Am I working on being an encouragement and putting myself in 
the place to be encouraged? Am I loving one another? Am I spending time in God's Word to be encouraged? Paul says you've got good discipline. You're doing the things that God has called you to do. You're being the kind of people God's called you to be. And then they have stability in their faith. That word stability is... It's, uh, it's, it's a commitment to what you're committed to. It's, it's the foundation. They were stable because they weren't easily turned away from the commitment they'd made to the gospel. They were walking in grace. They weren't moved away to something else. And that's how you can protect yourself. By making sure that your life is well-ordered with the things that God has called you to do and holding on to that commitment, which is one of the reasons we do this on a regular basis. Reminds us of what God has done for us and it reminds us as we come and partake together that we're identifying with His death and that we're dying to self. And we need that. We need that commitment, that firmness, that stability. So we protect ourselves through uh, having encouraged hearts through unity. We protect ourselves through discipline and stability. Finally, we protect ourselves by walking according to your roots. He says in verse 6, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Just as you received Christ Jesus, walk in Him. You received Christ Jesus by believing the gospel. Well, you need to walk in Him by believing the gospel. You needed God to receive Christ. You need God to walk in Him. You needed the Spirit to regenerate you to become a believer. You need the Spirit to walk on a daily basis. You needed faith when you received Christ Jesus. You need faith to walk in Him. You needed grace to receive Christ Jesus. You need grace to walk in Him. You needed to understand truth to receive Christ Jesus. You need truth to walk in Him. You needed the gospel to understand Christ Jesus. You need the gospel to walk in Him. It's not different. It's like the question Paul asked the Galatians. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be made perfect by the flesh? The obvious answer is, that's stupid. <coughs> you can't do it. You have to walk by the Spirit. You have to walk day by day in the exact same way that you came to Christ, by grace, through faith, trusting in God's Spirit to move you to what He's called you to do the only way. And so we have to walk in the same way that we're rooted. He says, so walk in Him, having been, past tense, firmly rooted. He doesn't doubt how they started. He thinks the Colossians started well. We read that in chapter 1. But now, he says, being built up and established in your faith. That word built up presupposes a certain kind of foundation. Right? Your foundation determines what you can put on it. We had a, when we lived in Dallas, the 
landlord that owned the house next door sometimes didn't do things the way he was supposed to do. One summer he built kind of a half fence that blocked part of the backyard from the main road. And then he dug out a little area about oh, 12 by 12, about that deep. And he put bricks in there and then he poured quickcrete over it. That's not really a good foundation, but he was adding on to his house. Rather inexpensively, but the goal was to add on to this rent house. Well, somebody found out and the building inspector came by and, and stopped him, right? Because you can't build on that kind of foundation. And that's what Paul says. You can't build on a foundation. You have to build on a foundation that you started with. Grace, the gospel. And then that word established, it's, it means to put something beyond doubt. As you're walking through life, as you're making those choices by the Spirit, as you do that, one step at a time, as you yield to the Spirit's movement in your life, you are putting things beyond doubt. You're protecting yourself from that deception. Every choice that you make to walk by the Spirit is, is kind of one more piece of armor to protect you from being deceived, from being deluded. The result of that at the very end, overflowing with gratitude, which leads us to this, right? All that we've talked about, coming to faith and walking by faith, living that life that Paul's asking us to live, protecting ourselves from deception, it only happens because of the cross. If not for the blood of Christ, we would have no option. There would be no walking with Him. There would be no protection from deception. And so we come as a reminder of what God has done for us so that we can do the things that Paul asks us to do. So that we can watch out for deception by being unified, by encouraging one another. So that we can watch out for deception by having good discipline and being stable in our faith. We can watch out for deception by walking in grace each day, every day. And so we, we come as a body to celebrate together because we need Him. We need that reminder. We need to be encouraged. And so would you take a moment where you sit? Approach God and, and just ask Him, God, where am I being deceived? That's the first question I want you to ask Him and, and just take some time and, and listen. Second question I want you to ask Him is, God, where am I not availing myself of the encouragement of the body? Where am I withdrawing and being distant so that I'm not being encouraged by those folks that you've called me into fellowship with? And then third, God, where am I not being an encouragement to someone else that you've put me in relationship with? Let's think about those three questions as we just pray silently for a little bit. God, where am I being deceived? Where am I not availing myself of the encouragement of the body? And where am I not being an encouragement? In a moment, 
I will pray and then we will partake together. Would you pray please?